hands, and then we look at the men in the body and say, do we recognize this calling on somebody? So in 1 Timothy 3, here is a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer or an elder, or some translations say bishop, he desires a noble task. In other words, there's nothing wrong with desiring to be an elder. If God's got that calling in your life, I would expect that desire to be within you. So there's nothing wrong with that as long as the motivations are pure. Now the overseer, the elder, must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so he will not fall into a disgrace and into the devil's trap. And then in Titus 1, it talks about this and uses a lot of the same things, but it says, uh, start with the second sentence, after he's putting elders in every town, He says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing. Now, blameless doesn't mean perfect, by the way. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must home fully to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so they can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. The qualifications there are pretty clear. And again, unfortunately or fortunately, we're not perfect vessels. So none of, none of the elders or anybody who will be an elder is going to be perfect. Um, over the years, we've had two, I think just two elders step down. Well, you and me. <laughs> I think we've only had two elders ever step down from being an elder. Um, a number of the churches like ours do have a um, term, but basically the term just gives an opportunity for an elder to graciously step down if they want to. Um, you know, We believe the calling is not something that's revocable, but that doesn't mean you have to do it. Uh, we had two step down, one elder stepped down because he felt he did not qualify because he, he was having one of his uh, kids was uh, rebellious. And he was managing his household as best he could. Um, so we as the elders, the other elders, encouraged him not to step down um, because he was managing as best he could. He made some really tough choices. But he did step down. And then another time an elder uh, stepped down um, because of some personal things in their life that they were wanting to focus on his wife's health, not sin or anything like that, just needed to focus on some other areas of his life that needed attention. Uh, and, and he is back on the elder board now after a number of years of being off the elders. Um, so um, in Titus slide 5, the next slide, when you look at the qualifications for an elder, and then in a minute or two we're going to go to a deacon, the, really the only difference between the elder and the deacon, uh, 
Only difference is, basically there's two. When you read through the, the, the qualifications, you won't see the deacon described as a ruler or a ruling over or having authority over. And you see that they are not required to be able to necessarily teach. Those are the only things. So when you look at an elder, they must be able to teach what is in sound doctrine, uh, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect. This is Titus 2.1. Self-controlled and sound in faith. We believe God calls the elders and that the pastor is the head elder. But he is one of the elders. Um, when we put on a new elder in the church, here's what the process simply would look like. We would be saying, you know, we've been watching so-and-so. We've been watching Peter. And we're seeing Peter doing all the stuff an elder does. You know, we need to start praying about this. Maybe this man's supposed to be an elder. So we would start praying about this man being an elder. And after an unknown amount of time, we might say, you know what, we think we need to talk to them about that. And then we would approach them and say, you know, we really sense that maybe there's a calling on your life to be an elder in the church. Um, We want you to pray about that and see if that's something that connects with your spirit. And we'd let that go for a while, and then we'd get together and say, what do you, what do you, where are you at? And say, yeah, I think I, I think I might be called to be an elder. Then we would go to the congregation, and we'd say, you know, we've been praying about this, and we may have even had Peter coming to some of our meetings um, as an elder in training, so to speak. And we'd ask the congregation, you know, we feel led that Peter's supposed to be an elder. But we want to do, because this is an important position in the church uh, we want you guys to all pray about this. And when after you've prayed about it, we want you to let us know if you have any red flags, if there's something that you feel we need to know as leaders, we need to hear about it. And we'd let that go on for a, a predetermined amount of time, generally. Um, and then if there was any concerns, we'd address them. If there is not any concerns, we would get to a place where you know what? We think this is a God go. We're supposed to move on this thing. Then what we would do is we would contact Jim McCracken and now probably Ben Goodman if he's available. And we'd have Jim and Ben come down to the church. And what we would do is we would on a, on a, we'd have a service and we would set them in as elders, uh, set the individual in as an elder by simply laying hands on them, praying for them, and setting them in as an elder. So there's no voting. There's a lot of room for consensus, prayer, um, red flags. You know, believe it or not, for newcomers or newer people in the church that don't know our history, this is how I became the pastor of the church. Can you imagine becoming a pastor of a church and there's never a vote? Scary thought, isn't it? But that's exactly what they did, only this time they went through the process I just described. And with the counsel of Jim, they said, you know, this is a really important decision. We want you all to pray about it, but we want to hear from every family. We want to hear from every family. And if we don't hear from every family in the next, I don't remember, six, eight weeks, something like that, um, we'll seek you out because we need to know. We're not going to move forward until we know everybody's on board. We're going to go forward, but not till then. And if I remember right, there was two people that we had to go talk to. Remember who they were? Well, one of them is my beloved associate pastor. 
<laughs> but they went to Bob and said, What's the, what, we haven't heard from you. I don't know if they went to both of you. I don't know how they even did that. It wasn't me. But if I remember right, I was working for Relco. I was a uh, national sales manager. And Bob and Lynette said, how are you going to survive on what we can afford to pay you? Sounds something like that. A legitimate question. I'm thinking of my well-being. And the answer was, I have no idea how we're going to survive. But if it's God, it'll work out. And then there was one other family. And uh, I don't think there was nothing that I couldn't share. Paul and Elaine Swift, a number of you know Paul and Elaine. Uh, They've been missionaries to Mexico for a number of years. They've been in the church for years and years and years. And their question was a great one. Um, I grew up in Ballatin. I've known most of the elders. Well, not Alan, I guess. Alan and Darren, more recent. But most of us grew up since we were about this big. Forever. And the question was this. If there needs to be confrontation and discipline, how are you going to handle that? What if you need to correct or rebuke an elder or they would have to correct or rebuke you? How's that going to work? Use the same answer. I have no idea. But if it's God, it'll work out. And uh, we went through that whole thing. Changed our government. Set in elders. Set in a, a, a pastor who is a biology chemistry major who'd been a school teacher, a farmer, a feed salesman, a sales manager, couldn't keep a job in his hometown. And uh, that was 18, 18 years ago. So we believe that God has really blessed this church, and one of the reasons is we believe we've done the best we can to get it in God's divine order in terms of how the government should run. So then we went to go to the deacon. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, when we went through that process with you, uh, I would just, for everybody's information, you had worked beyond the call of a normal eldership. You hmm. definitely showed a leadership, a care, and a concern, and a compassion that just rose above everything. One of the things that God allowed me to do to be trained was Stan, bless his heart, wasn't very good at one-on-one type stuff. And when uh, we were without a pastor for two years, I kind of filled some of that role, and Dan did a lot of the administrative things. And then when Stan was here, you know, he recognized his giftings. It weren't the same as my giftings, and he had me doing a lot of that stuff. So I had an opportunity to serve. Um, the calling is confirmed in the life of the individual, and the leadership in the body recognize this calling. So it's all about recognizing the call. Deacons, see to the physical needs of the church. They are God's government over the natural things in the local church. I'm not going to read all of the scriptures, but I want you to make sure if you look through them, the qualifications are not any less rigid. These are men who need to be men of character, of of good reputation, mature, Spiritually, the only thing, as I said, they're not put in a, in a governing role over the body, people, and they're not necessarily need to have the, the gift to teach. A uh, number of ours can and have, but they don't have to have. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think I need to read through those scriptures. <clears throat> Fivefold ministry. In Ephesians 4, this is another area where, our, again, our, our whole government's a little different, but we believe in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13, that there's a gift given to the church by Jesus when he ascended to heaven. He said, I'm going to go and, 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 and go to the Father, and we're going to give those, have him send the Holy Spirit. And then it refers to this. And notice how it says it in verse 11. It says, it was he who gave the Lord. It was the Lord who gave. Who? To whom? The church. To be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why did he give them? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's a big job. We believe it's an ongoing job. We believe that you're not going to attain the fullness of of Christ until Jesus comes back. Amen? That's one of the reasons we believe these five-fold ministries are for today. Because we have not reached that place. And we'll talk later about some of these things specifically. But most churches, pastors, they they get that. Um, Evangelists, maybe they get that. Um, Apostles, they would maybe use the word missionary. And there is a lot of similarity between the two offices. But there's a difference. Uh, prophets, not so much. Teachers, not so much. Matter of fact, prophets, they would say that kind of, some might say that passed away a long time ago. But we believe that all five are for today. We would like to see all five operating in the local church, actually. We would love to be at that place where we don't have to call to Truebridge and say, we need a couple prophetic brothers to come down and, and do presbytery for us. We would like to say, hey, send somebody. We got two or three of our own people that we want to continue to train. Um, their, their primary role is to build up the body to do the work of the ministry. Now, we try not to just say that. We try to live that. You know, a lot of us come from denominational churches where the pastor is the hireling and he's supposed to do most of the work. And we don't believe that's biblical at all. Not just because I'm lazy. <laughs> we just don't believe it's biblical. Our job is to, to build up, to disciple. One of the reasons we're, we're hiring Casey, we need to make sure we are discipling people to be able to be built up to do the work of the ministry. We've got evangelistic giftings in here. We need to be training them, releasing them. So we believe the job of these fivefold is to pour into the church to get the body to do the ministry. No room for duffers. How many of you know what a duffer is? How many of you know what a real duffer is? <laughs> How many of you ever went canoeing? You ever get in a canoe with three people? The guy in the front's got a paddle, right? He's working. Guy in the back's got a paddle. He's sort of working. The guy in the middle sitting there on his duff doing nothing. That's the duffer. That's what he's called. So we don't have room for duffers in the church if the church is going to do what God's called it to. How many of you believe God's given you a spiritual gift of some sort? Come on, I want to see hands this time. I don't know who I need to talk to. Okay, why do you think he gave you a gift? So you could sit on it and be a duffer. No, 
to use it to build up the body of Christ. And we all have them. As a matter of fact, you all got more than one. There's no doubt about it. So we believe that the fivefold ministry is for today. Um, we believe in, in practice body ministry. We're trying to get better and better and better at doing the practicing of the body ministry. And we believe God has established the lines of authority in the local church. We believe, just as God has got, you know, the, 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 the universe, the earth, everything is amazing that there's such order. We believe there's a church government that can best resemble God's order for the church. And we believe authority is set in place. You know, he says in the word that all authority is put in place by him for his purposes. So it's for our protection, our provision, and our, for the promises of the word of God. It's based on relationship, in relationship with God, in line with God's order. So some people ask, okay, we kind of understand we got elders here. That's a little different concept, but we get it sort of. You just call them elders, we call them a board. That's not true, quite true, but I get that. But when we get to this five-fold stuff, so what is Jim McCracken's role? Is he our bishop or is he the denominational rep or whatever? We look to Jim McCracken and Ben Goodman as an apostolic and prophetic oversight into our church. And it's all based on relationship. When Jim McCracken comes down here, even though we look at him as an apostolic guy, I look to him as my pastor. When he comes here, he submits to me and the elders of the local church. When Ben Goodman comes... And some of you may have been here the one night I really wasn't approving of one of the things he did and I stopped him at the front of the church. And the next morning, that was a Saturday night service, the next morning he publicly apologized, which I didn't even think was necessary, but he did. Why did he do that? Because he wanted to make sure we understood when he comes here, even though he's coming with the prophetic mantle, one of the fivefold ministry offices, he is submitted to the local church. And it's all out of relationship. So when we relate one to another, that's where the authority is. As you look at accountability to one another, uh, be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord, and it's out of relationship. It's be subject to one another. So in our eldership meetings, I guess, do we ever vote? Would you call it a vote? I guess if we approve the minutes, we kind of say I or something. (laughs) But we don't vote. You know, we decide to hire a staff person. That's a big deal. She got by on a four to three vote. We don't vote. We pray. We talk. If we can't come to agreement and it doesn't need to be decided, we table it. And we pray some more. We come together some more. We talk some more. We pray about it until there's a consensus. So when we walk out of that meeting room, we are in one accord. And if there's ever a time where we have to make a decision, and we don't have many of those times where we have to make a decision because of a time constraint, then we will make a decision and say, you know what, guys, thanks, um, but here's what we're going to have to do. And we do it. And then when we walk out of that door, we got consensus. You know, one of the things you've probably heard me say before, it is awesome being part of this leadership team because I know they've got my back. And I hope they know I've got theirs. And when I goof up, they'll come and lovingly tell me. But it's relationship. And that's what it is with Jim and Chuck. Or Jim and Ben now. Um, 
leadership. I can't stress this enough. We've all been in environments, maybe churches, maybe the business world, wherever you've worked, whatever, where leadership was something to be achieved and go for because it maybe meant power, authority, reputation, or big bucks or something. That is exactly 180 degrees away from what it is in the kingdom of God. The, who's the model for leadership in the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ. Jesus. He is the model of leadership. And he modeled leadership, and you could probably best describe it with one word. Serving. A servant. When we look for guys that we think might be called to be an elder or a deacon, you know where our, where our conversation almost goes first before anything else? Do they have a servant's heart? What are they doing in the church that nobody knows they're doing but maybe us? How are they serving? What are they doing? We feel to be, the elders in this church, you should be able to observe the elders in this church and you should see some of the biggest servants in the church. It's a higher level of servanthood and a higher level of responsibility that it, it, being a servant in the kingdom of God is all about. It's not a power thing. It's not a prestige thing. It's not an ego trip. Um, certainly isn't the money. It's not about that. It's serving. So th- that's one of the first things we look for. Okay, I want to make sure if there's any questions on the government because we won't touch on too much of that later on. Any questions? Because this is one of the things that is a little different than most churches' governments. It's not a democracy. It's not a republic. It's a theocracy. Uh, well, the reason we finally went to an official membership where we had you sign a piece of paper is by law as a corporation we had to. Otherwise, for years, we weren't even following the law. We didn't know it. But, um, if we, if we, because we, the law states if we're going to amend something, we've got to have a two-thirds vote of our membership. <laughs> we didn't have a membership, so it was tough to do anything. So, we, there are, so in cases like that, if we're going to amend the Articles of Incorporation or the bylaws or whatever that require that. Otherwise, that's it. Any questions? Okay, I've got 10 minutes for the last thing. It'll be easy. Truebridge. Everybody know what Truebridge is? Nope. Okay. Truebridge. It's a family of churches that we are a part of based on relationship. Okay, some people say, oh, that's your denomination. No, it's a family of churches that we are involved with based on relationship. We do voluntarily support Truebridge financially. Matter of fact, a couple years ago, we took it from a missions um, offering type thing and made it a line item on our, our budget. But it's totally voluntary. Um, support it as you feel led is what we've, we've done. And what Truebridge is, is, go to slide two. Or is it up? Mike, you got slides here? Or? I think it's the fourth one down on the uh, PowerPoints. Are they on the desktop? There it is. Truebridge. Um, 
Truebridge consists of approximately 30 churches, 32 churches. Um, The Truebridge group of churches has been growing also. Um, Some of the churches are small, uh, church plants. Some of them have as few as 10, 12 people in them right now. The, the largest Truebridge church probably has, and I'm just guessing here a little bit, but probably five, five or six hundred, so none of them are mega churches, really. Most of them are here in the Midwest, um, Minnesota, North Dakota, Wisconsin, and then we've got some churches in the Truebridge family because, of, because it's relationship uh, down in Florida, um, Carolina, but most of them are in the Midwest. So it's a family of churches which has a vision to support and equip God's people in all their endeavors through forming strong relationships. I know you get tired of me saying relationships, but that's really the key to the way we function. It's all about relationships. Our mission statement is Truebridge. Truebridge's mission statement is simply building healthy and effective churches to the glory of God. Healthy and effective churches. Getting churches in proper order and then trying to lay in the foundations so that they can be healthy, and if they're healthy, they will be effective. Um, if you talk to our elders about Jim McCracken, uh, you might enjoy him when he comes and speaks or preaches or whatever, but boy, his biggest gift to us is when it comes to us to asking him for direction, questions, troubleshooting. He's just so anointed and gives such great wisdom and insight, um, and that's part of that apostolic gifting. Um, you know, we only maybe see Jim down here a couple times a year. That means things are going pretty good. Um, I see him probably another half dozen times a year at least personally, and then we talk probably at least once a month or maybe more. Um, the benefits of Truebridge, supportive relationships. Um, Truebridge, as a family of churches, as linked with four other families of churches, like-minded. Some of them very similar as far as numbers and sizes. Uh, one of the groups has a church down in uh, North Carolina. I think it's seven or 8,000 people. That would be the largest church. Matter of fact, Peter's, is it about that big, Peter? Peter's enrolled in their college, uh, online college from down there. But we have these four or five other streams of churches or family of churches that formed a group that was called Interlink. And basically, again, it's all out of relationship. Um, some of you may recall uh, for the last few years in, Mar- in uh, I don't remember when it was. What time of year did they go to Florida? Thanksgiving, somewhere on there. We would have an interlink conference down in, in Florida. Um, I'm part of the Truebridge uh, leadership team, so I, get, I go to those meetings. So we get supportive relationships, ministry resources, um, you, I hope you know this, but in case not, we are very careful. I am very careful. I'm almost paranoid, probably. But we are very careful as a leadership team who's going to speak in this church. You know, who's going to minister and lay hands on people in this church. So we very seldom, we have, but very seldom, do we go outside of the Truebridge relationships. And if we do, we go to the interlink this last time we had the prophetic here, we, some of you remember Clem Ferris? Clem was one of the prophets that we brought in. Clem is part of the interlinked group of churches. So we get resources from the other groups of churches. Um, we 
with uh, conferences. Bob and I and our wives have went to the Pastors and Wives, they call it a retreat, but it's more of a working conference. We go to that every January. Um, this year we did not have a, a, a spring conference because of some scheduling conflicts up in uh, Eden Prairie. Uh, we usually hold them at City Hill Church in Eden Prairie. Um, the, the regional conferences are open to pretty much anybody. They have been in the past. Um, seminars and any personal or congregational assistance. And the True Bridge leadership team, as I mentioned, is Jim McCracken and Ben Goodman. And Jim would probably tell you that that's just the part of the leadership team. There are... Um, to count in my head. There's probably six, six or seven other pastors, uh, which I'm part of that group, that meets with Ben and Jim, and we meet with them two or three times a year in the Twin Cities for all-day meetings, just taking care of TrueBridge things. Um, planning. One of the things, for example, this might surprise a few of you, one of the things, uh, we're always looking towards transition, the next generation of leaders. And Jim is about my age, a little older. But, you know, we, we know that we've only got X number of years left. So who do you train? Who do you develop? Who do you get exposed to this? And the apostolic role that Jim has is a big deal. A lot of churches depend on him for a lot of things. And we just uh, announced to all the churches two or three weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, that uh, we as a group of leaders from Truebridge believe that the potential um, heir to Jim's position, or whatever you want to call it, uh, has been found. So for the next three to seven years, he's going to be traveling more and more with Jim, uh, meeting all the churches to see if that's really God's guy for that position. And he happens to be real close. He's uh, Pastor Doug Wing up at Grace Life Church. And he's got an amazing apostolic gifting, amazing apostolic calling, but he's young. So we're looking at that as three to five or probably five to seven year transition if, in fact, it works at all. That's up to the Lord and we'll see. But those are the kinds of things that we're always looking for because we believe this next generation of leaders if the guys that are leading now haven't got our replacements, we've failed the church. So Truebridge plays a big role in helping us do that. Okay, any questions with the website? Want to put that up there? If you want to go on their website, check out Truebridge a little bit more. It's just truebridge.org. Okay, any questions? Brita. Um, actually, it kind of just goes on and on. Like Jim McCracken would be, have two or three guys um, that speak into his life and kind of oversee his ministry. Uh, and, and this has changed a little bit because you can imagine his oversight are getting older than him. One of them was Keith Hazel. He's out in uh, Lethbridge, Alberta. Um, has overseen a large stream of churches. The other one, another one was Jerry Daly, who he was leading a large stream of churches and he stepped down from that position and he went and planted a church. And he's pastoring again. And I forget there's a third one, but I can't remember who it is. And then those guys have oversight teams that hold them accountable. So it just kind of goes on. We believe everybody needs to be accountable to somebody. 
and preferably more than one somebody? Good question. Any other questions? Monty? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> My kids are perfect, as you all know, because they got a perfect dad and live in a perfect house with a perfect wife and a great dog. Um, it really is a challenge because, for example, the example I used earlier when the, 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 one of our leaders stepped down, chose to step down, he had, you know, depending on the translations, they read a little bit differently. One of them makes it clear that it's managing your home well. You know, is that person totally responsible for a, for a teenage child in rebellion? Um, it's a tough call. But he made some very, very challenging decisions because there were younger children in the family and this older, older child would not respond. Um, he said, you're going to follow these rules or you're leaving the house. We felt he was managing his house home well, even though that was really hard, hard decisions. He was making tough choices to protect the younger siblings. And that's why he felt he was disqualified. Because he said, I looked at, he says, I looked at my, he says, I look at my home and I have no control over that kid. I failed. We looked at it and said, you know, you're making really hard choices managing your home. But if you feel like you need to step down, you know, you have our blessing, but we certainly aren't calling for it. So it's a, it's a tough call. You can't expect perfection. It isn't going to happen. I don't know if that helps or not, but... Any other questions? Otherwise, we're ready to wrap up tonight. Johnny. Yeah, you might have thought it was cool. We thought it was torture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a Holy Spirit thing. No doubt about it. It's a God thing. Yes? Okay, we got a few of them here. Bob and I are elders. Any other elders here yet? Got a bunch coming. We got an elders meeting tonight, so they're probably resting. Uh, Glenn Larson. I don't know if you know Glenn. Gray hair, longer hair. Got a beard? Okay. Um, John Nakamas, Brian Nakamas, worship leader. John, his dad, will usually sits over there. I can point where they sit. John sits over there. And Alan Ward, he usually sits about where Johnny is. He's one of them that I go grab to come up and pray with people pretty regularly. Uh, he's very gifted in the area of healing. That's one of the reasons you see me go to him. Did I miss an elder? Oh, and Darren Johnson. Uh, Darren and Gloria. 
And then deacons, we've got Monty here, Ryan here. Gotta stand up, guys, as long as you're here. Troy's here. Mike's in the sound booth. Am I missing one? Or is that Evan Johnson, but he hasn't been real active. Am I missing anybody else? Those are the deacons. Good question. You look like you got another question. Yes. Deacons will see. Right. So, like, for example, Troy, we've got Troy in charge of overseeing the outside of the building, major things inside the building. You know, if I, if I need to get the parking lot dealt with, I call Troy. Monty is working with uh, the sound. Uh, Mike works a lot with what you see getting set up here all the time, just doesn't happen miraculously. Mike does most of that, actually. Uh, Ryan's working with our addiction program and some other other things. Uh, did I miss somebody? I don't remember. So yeah, so basically more of the, the physical aspect of the church, the elder team would be the spiritually seeking guidance, direction, vision, mission, um, carrying that out. And that's one of the transitions. We're kind of right at that, as I shared a few weeks ago. One of the transitions that you see when you get to be our size, we've been really hands-on elders and as you do that, you, you, as you get bigger, you become a little bit more, the part we don't like, doing the business side of things all the time. And you'll see other people stepping up. And do, so it becomes more, more vision, mission, putting people in place. <laughs> Actually, this is good. I'm glad you brought that up. Any questions you have about anything about this church, if you want a copy of our monthly financial statements, if you want anything, we used to, we used to hang them in the foyer of the church, but there's so many visitors and stuff, we just decided not to do that. It, we, our elders' meetings are every other Wednesday night. They start at 9 o'clock during most of the year because they don't start till after worship practice. We'd love to have you come anytime. They are all open meetings. Yeah, they're done in just real quick. <laughs> pack, 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 pack breakfast. <laughs> no, they don't go quite that long. But <laughs> we thought it'd get a little better, being we meet every two weeks. But we quit early. We visit for another hour. So I don't know. So good, good comments. But no, seriously, anything. If you wonder about anything in the church. It's all open. We, there is nothing. If you want to see bylaws, articles of incorporation, you want to see our financial statements, it doesn't matter. Matter of fact, now would be a good time because Cindy just printed off the last month for our meeting tonight. But anything you want to see, anytime, ask Cindy, ask me. You can see it and have it. Okay, we're going over. I don't want to go over. We got a worship team ready to roll. Let's close in prayer. Thank you so much. And next week, um, we're going to be looking at a child dedication, water baptism, communion, tithing, and we may get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we'll see. Lord, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for the lights coming back on. We, Lord, we pray that uh, you would continue to lead and guide your church here in Ballotton, Father, with all of the, the surrounding communities that are represented here. Lord, we just pray that we can be effective tools, effective ambassadors 
of Jesus Christ and carry your message clearly to the world around us that the kingdom would increase. Lord, I pray for the worship team as they prepare to practice tonight. Be with them and pray for our elders meeting later on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.